0: You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message.
1: I am Mark McNally, and I am the director of outreach here on campus, and I am on your preaching team. Duh, right? Or I wouldn't be up here. But I am continuing a series that we are in the middle of called Jesus Went. We're going to please places that Jesus went through the season of Lent. Now we've been to the desert. We've been to a wedding. We've been to the place of shame. You saw the video, right? Okay, you get it. We're going to places where Jesus went. Today, we're going to the crowds. We're going to see in a passage in Matthew chapter 9 that Jesus went to the crowds. And the way that he saw them, the way that he responded to them, the way that he felt about them, far different than the way that many of us do individually and the way many of us do collectively. So just a little bit of personal history. I became a Christian about nine years ago, and I was one of the least compassionate people that you would have met before I knew Jesus Christ. And I remember any time that there was something on the news that was like heart, tug on the heartstring sort of thing, I'd be like, oh, what's the score of the game? I said, Can we get onto something else? Just no compassion. I would, I would see people in need, and I would have that kind of, Got feeling like, well, you know, pick yourself up by your bootstraps, right? Just figure it out. I had to work hard. My dad worked hard. My grandpa worked hard. What's wrong? You know, you, people are there because of product of their own choices, right? Well, then I become a Christian. And I get this big old heart, which doesn't have a lot of wisdom and discernment yet, but I go out and I think I can change the whole world. All we've got to do is just get in relationship. We've got to help people. We've got to give people more money. We could just, more money will solve it. The government can step in and the church can, and everybody's going to pull themselves out of Poverty, and addiction, and dysfunction, and despair. Well, I can tell you after nine years, I've not accomplished that goal quite yet. And what I've learned through the work that's been done here on campus, and outreach, and church at the center, and all these other things I'm going to talk about today, is that you know, it's just complicated. When Jesus looked out at the crowds, he saw people that were confused, and hurting, and helpless, and dispirited, and he knew the same thing. He knew You know what? A lot of them are making bad choices. A lot of them were brought up in situations and circumstances and families where they just didn't have the opportunity given to them to grow the basic amount of life skills and knowledge that they need to flourish. And it's complicated. And so have I got everybody hopeful so far? Like you're all excited? Everybody's on the edge of their seat, I can tell. Um, (laughs) We're going to look at uh, some uh, passage of scripture in in Matthew chapter nine, like I said. But I want to uh, do my best Jason Leininger imitation up here. Okay, you guys see Jason Leininger a lot, right? Can I see some nods? He's executive pastor. Jason loves to recommend books and loan books out. Now, what I've done in this is so just a little tip for you: is that I keep the books thinking that if I don't give them back, maybe he won't try to loan me as many. So just a little tip there. But I have some books that I want to recommend on the topic of poverty alleviation and, uh, and, this, and this type of work that, that we're trying to do and talk about today. The first is Toxic Charity by Bob Lupton. Great book. A Framework for Understanding Poverty by Ruby Payne. When Helping Hurts by Brian Fickert and Steve Corbett. And then there's a documentary on Netflix called Poverty, Inc., Uh, Raise your hand if you've seen Poverty Inc. on Netflix. It kind of was trending for a little while there. Nobody, okay, well you've got some homework, that's great. Um, Just great documentary on how uh, poverty alleviation has been done in a very, very poor way. How do we as individuals, and how do we collectively go to the crowds? Before we look at how Jesus did it, how do we do it? I wanna look at a few ways that we see the crowds. The first way we see the crowds is that we ignore them. (laughs) We just simply look the other way. John Wesley noticed this whenever he uh, recognized he was commenting on this passage of Scripture in Matthew 9, and he said, you know these towns, the people that uh, Jesus was looking out and over, they had plenty of scribes. Like, they had people who knew the Scriptures, they had people who scribed the, the Scriptures, they had teachers of the law, the religious law, but they didn't have pastors. They didn't have shepherds. They didn't have people yet like Jesus who looked out over the crowds and felt the pain of that brokenness. I was talking to someone on staff this week and they were talking to me about a conversation they were having with a family member. And the family member had seen somebody um, out and about uh, using government assistance. They could tell that this was happening. And they were just incensed. This is ridiculous. They had the same reaction that I had before I became a Christian. And and the uh, leader I was talking to in the church was just like, I was, t- I was taken back. I, w- I was blown away, not by the fact of the criticism, but by the dehumanization that was happening. It was as if this person didn't even exist or didn't even have enough dignity to be seen as a child of God. It really took him back, and, and leadi- leading up to this message, we had a great conversations about that. What happens whenever you get the vision of Jesus for the crowds, when you look out over the crowds, is that you can't ignore it anymore. You may not have it all figured out how to respond to it, but have you had that moment yet? There are people all across the campus right now that are having that moment. Where for whatever reason before, they avoided looking at people in desperation and hopelessness and need and poverty of soul and material possessions, and they just ignored it. And they rationalized it. They reasoned out why, that there was no need to respond, but at that point they knew they couldn't look the other way anymore. The second thing we do is that we advocate. We love to take up causes in this country. We love to petition, we love to protest, we love to march, right? We love this. We love to get around a table at coffee shops and and McDonald's in the morning with the newspapers and we love to rail about everything that's going wrong in the world. Right? Is if we just had the master controls of all the decisions made, then we could change it all. The problem is we have a lot of people, virtually everyone has an opinion about what we should do about the crowds that are hurting. But very few of us have the compassion to take the step out of our comfort zones and do something about it. Everyone has an opinion, far fewer have the compassion that it takes to move. And the final thing is act. A lot of people will act, they'll do something. They'll just. My dad used to say, son, do something even if it's wrong, then you'll have something to fix. Just I can't watch you sit there doing nothing. People will just, they'll move, they'll, they'll give money, they'll join a, a work and service project for the church or in the community, they'll jo- join a community organization, neighborhood o- organization, they'll get involved in their church, they'll get out there and they'll get busy, they'll do something in action. They'll get their hands and feet dirty. All good things, right? Jesus is about to step on some toes today, and he's about to say, you know what, even if some of those things are well-intentioned, good-hearted, they're incomplete. They fall short. They're missing a key ingredient and component that Jesus had when he looked over the crowds. Now, some of you, I know this is a traditional service, some of you are like, where's the Scripture, right? We're going to get to the Scripture. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Let's take a look. Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness, and when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his fields. Now chapters 8 and 9 of the book of Matthew are really kind of cataloging some of these interactions that Jesus is having. uh, Specific examples of interacting with people who are sick and people who are advocating for those that are sick, asking for Jesus to heal them. About six or seven cases through these two chapters. Immediately following the Sermon on the Mount, very famous passages of Scripture, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. We get these examples of what Jesus does when he's out doing ministry, and then we get this passage to sum it all up. Jesus went out to the towns and villages, and he saw the pain and the suffering. He saw the hurting and the hopelessness and the harassment and the confusion of the crowds. And he felt what? Let's see how many are with us. It starts with a C, compassion. And he had compassion on them because of where that they had found themselves. Do you notice the difference? We talked earlier about um, how we avoid, how we advocate, and how we act. Do you notice the difference in how Jesus acts? Well, let's take a look. The first is presence. Jesus is present. In each one of those cases from chapters 8 and 9, Jesus is in direct relational contact with people who are suffering. He's not doing a drive-by healing in these. He's having conversation. He's having interaction. He is coming at them. Now, I uh, have had the pleasure of kind of getting to be more involved in the food pantry as my role in outreach has grown. And what I think we should celebrate as a campus is how the food pantry has shifted from a chronic approach to a crisis approach. As opposed to giving food out on a rotating basis, now we have the first staff position that we've had in that ministry who is trained to sit and engage to engage the people coming in, to to assess where they are at in their lives, to find out if they're hurting or hopeless or helpless or harassed or distressed or all these ways that the scriptures have tried to translate those words in Matthew 9. The thing that Jesus looked out and he saw in the food pantry we are now, and we've been doing it before through prayer, so this isn't just a a first-time thing in the past year or two, but now we are putting together programs like Jobs for Life, Faith and Finances, the Life Change Plan, and we are having someone sit down and engage. Let's be present. You have need. How can we meet that need holistically? And that is something that we should celebrate as a campus. Jesus did that in being present. The second thing is proclamation. It says that Jesus proclaimed the good news about the kingdom. Now, there's been controversy. I don't hear it quite as much anymore about how whenever we go and we meet the physical and material needs of people, we shouldn't, kind of, we shouldn't come at them with the whole Jesus thing and the whole salvation issue and all of the forgiveness of sin stuff. We need to, you know, let's, let's tread lightly, right? Well, I'm looking at two Good News Club leaders. Is that right? No. Jesus never separated the word of God from the work of God. Never did that. Jesus went to a wedding in the series we're doing here. He never separated teaching from partying. He did it all. He talked about the kingdom, and he brought the works of the kingdom. At the same time, he brought them together. So as we do ministry the way Jesus does ministry, we proclaim the gospel. We're not embarrassed to say that every single one of us have a primary need, and that is to be in a restored relationship with God. Amen? That some of us are hungry, some of us are jobless, Some of us are homeless, and that is all stuff that God's heart breaks over. We have to do something about that. But in Matthew chapter 9, do you remember the story of the four guys that are carrying the guy on the mat who's paralyzed, and they drop him through the roof, and Jesus has got this crowd around him, and here's this guy, and he's totally paralyzed, and everybody's watching what Jesus is going to say, and he says, son, your your sins are forgiven you. What? What? Your sins are forgiven you? This guy needs healed. He needs to be able to walk. Well, Jesus ends up healing him, right? Jesus is proclaiming the good news about the kingdom. When we go into the lives of people who are hurting and suffering, do we go with the fullness of the good news? Do we have good news for people? The next thing is Power. Jesus, when he came in to the situation, when he came on the scene, people left differently. I talked about this when I preached next door last week. I said, when the woman came, she came to the place of shame, she was hopeless, and she walked away with a totally new life, right? Lepers came to Jesus, and they, came, and they left cleansed. Blind people came to Jesus, and they left not blind, when people come to Jesus, they come to a power that has the ability to transform every area of your life. Are you being controlled by an addiction? God wants you to walk out of here today after hearing the good news, after receiving communion, changed. He does not want anybody in bondage to something that is keeping them from living into the life that God called all of us to live. That's power. That's the kind of power Jesus brought to people's lives when he went to the crowds. Now, how did he do all those three things, right? He's he's present, he's proclaiming, he's bringing power. Well, he's about to tell us how we can do it in verse one of chapter 10, but I'll tell you before we get there, it's prayer. It's the forgotten ministry of the church. Prayer is not preparation for the ministry we do. Prayer is the ministry that we do. Forget to do prayer. I can tell you now, forget about the rest of it. Get a hobby. Buy a boat. Watch a 12-season series on Netflix because it's a waste of time. Without prayer, everything we do has got to be undergirded. The foundation has to be laid with prayer. Did you connect with What Jesus commanded us to do. In this passage, there's only one thing he commanded us to do. One. What is it? Anybody? Pray. Pray. Thank you, John. Pray. That's it. He didn't say start an organization. He didn't say protest. He didn't say raise awareness. He didn't say raise funds. He said pray. And what did he ask us to pray for? Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest and ask him to send more workers out into his fields. Pray. Now, one of the things I've been very blessed to do is go to a lot of conferences. I get to go to conferences and hear Christian speakers and teachers tell us how to do what we do better, and there is a really good one called the Global Leadership Summit. Ridgecrest Baptist um, hosts this every August, and I was there last year, and I heard them talk about this prayer room, like, okay, okay. There's this room where people can go during the conference, usually on breaks, and you can pray if you need to pray for something. Now, I've heard about this room at other conferences, and it's usually behind a couple of, you know, it's out around the way. you got to look around the corner, and there's a couple signs, and there's a a drape, and a couple of tables. Jim, you've seen these rooms. Well, they had a whole chapel set aside for it, which I thought was awesome. I walked by it three times, and that's the way it looked every single time. Now, I'm not dogging on Ridgecrest Baptists. We love Ridgecrest (laughs) Baptists. If Hosey Blue is podcasting this, we love you guys. But this is everywhere you go. This is what the prayer rooms look like at conferences for Christian leaders. The third time I walked by, I had a situation going on in my life and I really just needed to get in there. And the 10 minutes I was in there praying, nobody else came in. Now, how much was all of that teaching? How much was all of that knowledge? How much was all of that wisdom that we were gaining? How much good was that doing us if nobody went in there? To follow the one command that Jesus gives us in this text. What if the breakthrough that every one of us is looking for through the ministries of the church in a lost, hurting, broken, confused, and distressed world could be answered if that, by that room being filled up right there? In chapter 10, verse 1, Jesus continues on, and what he does is remarkable. He called his 12 disciples together, who I don't know about you, but if I'm them, this is early on in the narrative in Matthew's account, I'm kind of like, I'm still in shock. I'm like, what is going on here? This is awesome, but I'm still kind of taking it in. You know, I'm still trying to figure out what Jesus is up to, and he says, gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and heal every kind of disease and illness. What? Jesus is saying, now you guys go do this. Go. Do what you've seen me doing. I'm giving you the power. You know the proclamation that I'm making. You know the message that I'm preaching. You can be present. We can all do that. And you can pray. That's what I've just asked you to do. Four ministries on campus that I want to highlight where this ministry is happening, this type of uh, prayer-focused and saturated ministry is happening. is The first is Church at the Center. Um, There's a a picture of worship on Sunday nights. If you, I've looked at it across the crowd, and I see more and more of you have visited church at the center. But that is a five o'clock worship service on campus that's reaching out to people in the recovery community, um, people from generational poverty, uh, reentry from incarceration, and that is Jason Leiniger reaffirming the faith of uh, Malaya. It's a, it, was a, it was an awesome moment that we captured. Um, so you're you're welcome to come and see the work that's being done there. The next thing is jobs for life. We are in our 11th session of Jobs for Life. There's one of our graduations. Yay! Give it up for Jobs for Life. Uh, We love Jobs for Life here. Everybody in Jobs for Life, every student has a champion and every aspect of teaching people how to thrive in their vocational life is saturated with prayer and undergirded with scripture. All biblically focused on how people live into their vocational callings. The third thing is faith and finances. Now, this is a course that's only in its first session. We're finishing up this Wednesday. Uh, Brian Standage and Justin Setzer are both leading that ministry and getting trained to do that. They do need champions and teachers and people who want to help those looking to pull themselves up out of uh, material and financial poverty and learn how to handle their financial resources. So if you're interested in that ministry, please let me know. The final ministry that is really getting some legs on campus is called the Life Change Plan. Now, it kind of flew under the radar for a little while in 2016, uh, but it's really, really a growing ministry. Raise your hand if you've heard about the Life Change Plan. Okay, not many of you yet. Well, what it is is a 12-month program where we ask participants, uh, largely from the recovery community and recovery programs that we partner with, but not exclusively. Some are just worshipers here on Sunday morning and evening, Uh, but it's a 12-month program that is asking a covenant from a participant to do all aspects of discipleship. They have to worship weekly, Bible study, they have to journal in scripture and prayer on a daily basis, they have to meet with a mentor, they have to community serve, they have to serve in the church, And then within this year, they also have to complete Jobs for Life, Faith and Finances, Alpha, and do a shape assessment that uh, Rick Warren came up with that we use, yeah. Wow is right. Those are commitments, right? And I was presenting this to uh, one of the great Sunday school classes here on campus, and I I saw this woman, she was looking at the requirements for these participants, and she's like, taking her glasses off, putting them on. And I was like, ma'am, do you have a question? And she said, this kind of looks like what all of us should be doing. I was like, well, yeah, kind (laughs) of, it's discipleship. But they covenant to do that, and the church in response meets a financial need that they have in their life through a, a monthly financial benefit that's calculated based on their participation, monthly food pantry visits, a mentor that's assigned to them to meet with them on a weekly basis, and a personalized Bible that they get after three months of completion, and then savings funds that are put back for them twice throughout the year. The Life Change Plan, folks, has its first, yeah, give it up for the Life Change, has its first, the Life Change Plan will have its first four graduates on April 23rd on Sunday night. You're welcome to join us for that graduation. It's going to be a huge celebration. The graduates and their um, mentors will be there for that. There's a lot of other ministry where this kind of call that Jesus has on us is happening. Um, But I can tell you honestly, there isn't enough prayer that's being laid down for these ministries to flourish the way that Jesus wants them to flourish. So I want to call on all of us here today to do that. All right? We're going to have a moment of silent prayer. We're going to put the two verses on the screen from Matthew 9, verses 37 and 38. If you need to read through those again, it's, it's Jesus' command for us. Let's, act, let's do in church what Jesus asked us to do. Amen? Let's just do it. Amen, as prayer continues. Well, I want to show a video to inspire you about the, the things that are happening in the life change plan. Um, Casey is the participant, and Vicky. Um, Vicky's an 8:20 worshiper, I think. Vicki Peterson. Okay, well they are going to give you um, a little example of what it's been like for them to journey through their time in the Life Change Plan. Take a look.
2: My daughter and I were sitting at home talking about people that didn't have the support they needed, people that just needed somebody to come along and give them a hug and love them a little bit. I actually moved here to Springfield from Rolla. I had
0: to get away from a lot of things. And I started attending this church and I heard about the life change plan and I got it and I love it and I love my mentor and it's just so many things that great that's happened.
2: You know what I mean? Casey just changes week by week and I get so excited and the girls at the Women in the Well, they're her biggest fan. You know, Everybody says, oh my gosh, we just love her so much because she's got this sweet, sweet nature. Always willing to do, takes part in the Sunday sense- School. I love her because she's making me grow I have changed so much and I'm just happier you know it's so fulfilling and just to watch her grow just makes me so happy this is the first
0: church honestly like I've been raised in church but like I really feel like this is my home my home church you know like everybody accepts me here and I just feel the love and uh the jobs for life program that i took that was a really good program i really enjoyed that and you know i got good job now my insurance for my health insurance starts on the first so i'm really excited about that just so many things like through the life change plan the stuff that you do and stuff the requirements it like almost is like now it's like it's not a requirement like it's something that i want to do you know what i mean so it's not like oh well i have to get this done this week I'm in this, you know, but it's not like that anymore. Like when you're in school and you had to do a report or something, you know what I mean? Like, but now it's just something that I love to do, you know? Yeah, like, I crave it,
2: so. You grow from it. It's all, it's all been good for me. I, you know, I'm glad she's growing too, but I'm really growing <laughs> and I'm excited about it too, you know. And it's made me want to minister more and more in the church, and I think it will for everybody. When you see this kind of growth and this kind of joy, you just want to jump up and <laughs> I love you.
0: <laughs> just like she said, I've grown so much in my life in almost every aspect of it. You know, like, like I don't know how to explain the relationship that I've built with Christ that I want others to feel. You know? So yeah, I really.
2: It does change your life. Yeah. It's, it's like, I've been a Christian more years than I can count. And just, I'm walking with Christ through this. It's like, he's just right here in case he's over here on the other side. Yeah. And we're just doing it, like you said earlier, together. And it is just nothing but a blessing.
1: So when we talk about the life change plan, I think a lot of times people think that it's about the participant's life being changed, but do you notice who else's life was changed there? I was wondering which which one of their lives is being changed more. I don't know if anybody else was thinking that, but it's a reminder for me. It's a reminder for me as a shepherd in the church, how important it is to always be changing, to always be looking to grow myself, to step out in faith, and to take risks. In fact, I'm gonna take a risk here and share a selfie that I took of myself this week. Now, I don't take a lot of selfies. I I try to be very careful about that. I I know people have issues with selfies. There's a little bit of narcissism that might be underneath that, right? And it's not a debate we're gonna get in today. But this week, a selfie I took just really reminded me of how I could cap off our message today and really emphasize the point I'm trying to make. So could we show that selfie? Yeah, there I am, you see that? Yeah. I looked a little different earlier this week. I, I cleaned up a little bit. Good razor. Does wonders. In all seriousness, we're sheep. Okay? Some of you, I hope, during your prayer time are inspired. Some of you are thinking, you know what? I, I could get into mentoring. I could get into championing jobs for life. That's great. I need to step out and pour into someone's life like Vicky is. Please, if I could give you any advice, don't forget that however much shepherding you do, That's you, too. We're all sheep. Every one of us need the good shepherd. As much as we shepherd, we need Jesus to look into our lives and see us the way he sees the crowds. I'm going to read some of these descriptive words from the different translations that we read. Harassed and helpless was from our translation. Dispirited, distressed, weary, dejected, Confused and aimless. I don't know about you guys this week, but I had moments where probably over half of those words described me. It was a rough week. And uh, I'm just glad that we have a savior. Those of us that put our trust in Christ, that we know when he looks out over the crowds, that we're in the crowd. That he has compassion for us. Do you know Jesus like this today? Now I hope any of you ready to step into mentoring or championing will do so. But any and all of us, if you don't know Jesus as the shepherd, as your good shepherd, as the one that meets you with his presence, where he proclaims the good news into all of those areas of your life, where he brings his power, and he's at the right hand of the Father praying for you. My prayer is that that you'll know him like that as jim comes up now i'll just close us with a quick prayer father thank you for this passage of scripture thank you for your son jesus thank you that upon his ascension that he sent his holy spirit to teach us to comfort us and to lead us into the fullness of the kingdom help each and every one of us to know that by experience today in your name we pray